0: Hello, and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. We're now in season two of the 100 Masked Men series, where I anonymously interview different men from all around the world about gender roles, expectations from society, and how that affects our self-worth. Lately, I've been really curious about gender and linguistics. So today's episode is all about the art of communication, and specifically, how to effectively give and receive rejection. Mass Man number 30 is the Master of Mirrors. I spoke to a professional that helps people communicate better and learned that the main fear in public speaking has to do with the fear of how others will perceive them. I think it's interesting that we're more afraid about what people will think about what we're saying than what we're actually saying. And also, how much of this is cultural? Are we more or less vocal depending on our cultural background? Let's get into it. I hope you enjoy the show.
1: You know, I've always seen, I've always said that the best conversationalists are what I call master of mirrors. So what that means is they're able to mirror the right emotions of the other individuals speaking. So let's say I was on this podcast and you were very, let's say you were, you were a very loud person. You would say, well, it's great to be here. You know, it's really exciting to have you. But then the way that I would reflect those emotions would be very different. I would go, Amanda, it's so great to be here. I love being here. This is a great conversation. Mm. But if you're on the other side of the spectrum, you go, uh. Uh, hey, that's not you. You're more in the middle, but let's say you're on the other side. But then notice how the way that I'm speaking now. I, I think more people need to do that more. I think it'll it'll just make you, it'll just make your life a lot better.
0: So, how much do you think a successful conversationalist is hinged on sounding confident? Because if someone is kind of a little bit just less experienced in communication or speaking to multiple strangers, or is just just cares too much about that approval. And it shows how does that cause challenges in actually vocalizing what they truly want to say?
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And that, that's just the unfortunate reality of kind of the human condition, which is we we make quick snap judgments about how people are just on based on how they speak. So if I was talking like this in the same conversation, you probably wouldn't like me as much as if, if I was talking the way I usually do, which is the way I'm talking now. So So I think the recommendation I have here is a couple of things. The first one is How do we communicate in a way that's authentic to us? And the way you do that is to talk to people who authentically want to be around you, regardless, I would start the conversation there. Who are the people who actually care about me and how can I practice conversations with those people? And then as you get better and you get more comfortable, then you can upgrade to having conversations with people you don't know that you don't actually particularly like that you're still trying to convince. And that's when things get a lot more trickier, but also more interesting Because now you really have to hone in your communication skills to sound a bit more confident than you usually are, to sound a bit more different and to sound a bit more, I guess, engaging. And the way that you do that, in my opinion, and it's very counterintuitive, it's not like an easy hack. It's just having a belief system and understanding who you are. And I think the way that you do that is by asking yourself difficult questions about life. So so one exercise I recommend people do is ask yourself a hard question about life every day. And I can give you a couple of examples. What are you pretending not to know? If you had all the money in the world, how would you spend your time? If you were a god, what would you do first and why, et cetera, et cetera. And as you're answering these questions, you start to figure out who you are in a very short period of time. And then once you do that, there's this new aura that starts to come around you. I know it sounds kind of wooey, but it's true. I mean, when you're very confident in your own skin, it shows because you've done the work to understand who you are. And then from that, it's much easier to speak from a confident angle.
0: Yeah, and I think people are attracted obviously to confidence and it's a very masculine energy of being able to command a room or all eyes on you or you're able to hold people's attention. So now that more women are taking on those traits and becoming more confident in their own skin and being able to make change and have their own decisions and their own agency, why do you think that has become a threat to, to men, to the opposite sex?
1: Hmm. That's a fascinating one. I think it's not really threatening to the real confident men. That's, the, that's my honest opinion on it. And it's not me just being defensive or anything. I, I mean, it, I think for me, it's really just this idea that the men out there who are threatened by a woman's confidence are weak themselves in many ways they're not confident in their own skin they're they're using the confidence of other people as excuses not to build their own uh, that's that's my thinking that's the, the thinking pattern that comes to me but the opposite is also true you know when when women start start becoming very overbearing and over boardrooms and they start taking too much control and are kind of doing the same thing that men did in the patriarchy a couple of decades ago and still do to this day when they start to replicate that same behavior it's the same thing right so so i i It's just on a different angle. So I think for me that the key here and or rather the key solution for both sides is how can we be both confident in our skin and our energy? Because it's isn't it fascinating that women now are taught to be very, you know, a bit more aggressive like men, confident like men, and, and instead of embracing their feminine energy, especially when many of them do want to and don't and aren't encouraged to be housewives even if some of them do not all of them obviously and then the but the opposite is also true some some guys probably want to be i don't know you want to take on more feminine roles they want to be stay at home dads maybe but they're not encouraged to do that either they're encouraged to be you know take on very masculine confident roles so i think i think the in between here and how we solve this paradigm it's not going to be an overnight process it's for everyone to figure out who they are for everyone to ask themselves individually and to do the work on themselves and then show up in that authentic way. So for me, you know, there's a lot of things about me that are very feminine and also very masculine. Like I have a very aggressive alpha energy where I go after the things that I want in life That's just a part of who I am. But there's also the part of me who karaoke's in eight different languages, who just loves dancing alone in my basement and loves Justin Bieber, right? I think think people are a lot more multidimensional than people give them credit for. And we need to all look in ourselves and find that multidimensionality, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, I think it's, we've been conditioned to wanna fit in. And if you can't be defined in a category, then you feel lost. I remember when I was younger, I wanted a way to identify myself so clearly that if you were going to box me and put me on a shelf, that I would be in this aisle next to these other brands, you know? And if I wasn't able to brand myself that clearly and obviously, then who am I, you know? And Mm. that's, that's it's pretty dangerous thing. Like, why would you want to commercialize yourself? But I think that's what we've been so... Subconsciously trained to do because of the age of consumerism. That we, if we can't be consumed as a commodity, then how is, are other people going to identify us and put us in the right job descriptions or in the right roles in society?
1: Wow, that, that's a very good point. That's super powerful. I love, I love that whole idea of we can't be consumed ourselves by the culture. It feels like we don't fit in. Oh, that's that's really good. I agree. Yeah, it's it's like this whole Instagram thing. You know, dating has has transferred very quickly from this, you know, this this interaction that two people have to this transaction that two people want to make. Right? It's it's so it's so bizarre. I find even if I'm very young myself, you know, when I kind of observe kind of the culture scape and how things are changing, it's this artificiality really ruins you know real authentic relationships. I found. And I'm glad I don't hang out with a lot of those people. I guess we don't have that as much in Canada relative oh, yeah. to other parts of the world. But but yeah, I I think that's very damaging, especially for for people who enter that or who try their best to package themselves and search for happiness. And they realize that they're stuck in a box that they can't get out of anymore. And they're just waiting to be bought. When you think about men in general and how they're raised, it's more about, hey, you should like shut up and like not talk about your feelings and emotions and just mm-hmm do what you're supposed to do and which is get in fights or (laughs) do or use aggression to communicate your ideas and that's the way that the culture the culture scape influences us to communicate in that way so when when we see our fathers in, in my case or or many other guys as fathers and how they communicate with their wives and their families and their the members of their community we use that as a benchmark to conclude that is also how we're supposed to listen and communicate as well. Oh, you know, as Amanda's talking, I'm supposed to just figure out how to respond to or not really listen to what she's actually conveying. So I think I think there's always this wider issue when it comes to conversations about how is the current culture influencing the way that we speak and communicate. And this whole idea with the rise of social media, even if it, social media hasn't been a big factor in that, in my opinion, it's just always been a it's just always been a part of human nature, which is how do I always one up the other person around me? Oh, if Amanda is saying something instead of just acknowledging it and expanding on what she's saying, I could instead go, well, Amanda I actually did this, 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 it, you know, even a conversation as simple as what you did this weekend
0: mm-hmm.
1: can, can turn into this, the, this, um, this exhaustive race between two people trying to, trying to achieve a finish line that isn't even real. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense.
0: Yeah. So I'm curious to hear what you think about North American culture. So what is your background and do you experience a clash in terms of what your, maybe your background and your parents kind of might believe as the right methods of communication or certain values versus what North American contexts are?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. You know, when I think about this, like my parents are from Sri Lanka and we immigrated to Canada probably in the mid mid 1990s. And what I've realized, especially, and I'm sure you could talk on the same idea where you you have two different paradigms. You have the individualistic culture of North America where it's more of you need to make it focus on you. You're the priority of your own life, which is true in many ways. And then you have the other side of it, which is what we what I call collectivist culture, which is more whatever you do, you do it for the group. And what's what I, what's fascinating, since, since I'm not really an immigrant, I'm, I'm born and raised in Canada, my parents were. It's this interesting clash of different types of ways of communicating, which is when you think about how North American people who are born here communicate, it's very active. It's I did this. I achieved this. I want to get here. I want to... G- climb this mountain whereas in in asian culture i guess it's more about saying i'm achieving this for this purpose for the betterment of my family for the betterment of this for this group not really for myself and then when you have both of these extremes that are kind of at odds when you're kind of tangled in the middle you have to figure out how to sort through both of those those different realities and i think for me it's always been this idea of the truth is always in the middle i think there's truth from both sides and the key is Through that conversation, hence the importance of it, we're able to dissect which parts of both sides of the argument makes better sense for a healthy middle. So a good example in this case, and feel free to expand your thoughts here as well, is this idea that there's a lot of individual there's a lot of components of individualistic culture that I, I definitely agree with. Things like prioritizing your own happiness over everyone else's because if you're not happy, you can't make everyone else around you happy, right? That's that's very key. But there's also this other side of the coin that I don't particularly like about individualistic culture, which is this idea that, that, that I think is really odd that nobody talks about, which is most people in the US, anyways, we're based in Canada, but most people in the US, you know, most Americans don't barely have $400 of savings in their bank account. But at the same time, it's like, why, why don't families just live with each other? Why is there such a stigma of, of people getting kicked out of their house and like 18, 20 years old, and it leads to these expenses for everybody it just doesn't make sense. But the other side of the equation is also true. When you think about collectivism, which is, yeah, the, the pros of collectivism is, you know, you take care of your parents, even when they get really old, you don't put them in an old home's house, and that's great. But there's also decisions that that collectivistic culture expects you to make that you don't want to make for yourself because it impedes on your own happiness. So there's kind of pros and cons to both.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm always in like a ping pong battle with, you know, trying to be my own person, being independent, and then also have the approval of my parents and you know seeing how much they've gone through in immigrating to Canada and going through all of the struggles you know i have this sense of guilt of needing to comply to their collective ideas because otherwise i appear selfish or you know just self absorbed in my own method of thinking or my way of life so i think I'm always just confused. Like I want a sense of control and then I also want a sense of approval, which you can't really, you can't get that approval without removing the control. And then you can't keep the control without, without kind of being disapproved of that behavior. So do you kind of get that where it's always this conflict of interest on both sides and trying to juggle that balance?
1: Yeah, I think you summarize that so well. Like this idea of approval versus sense of control. I love that a lot because the more sense of control, I'm actually going to steal that one. The more the more sense of control you have, right? The the less approval you'll probably end up getting from your parents. That's that's good observation. And and I think for me that that's definitely been true in many ways. When when you try and get something from your parents and you feel that. You want to get something like you want to achieve something that's that doesn't necessarily align with the collectivistic culture, but at the same time, you feel you need it for yourself so you, but you, there's also hesitation because everyone else doesn't want you to do that thing. like a, a good example I can give you in, in my culture is marrying outside of my own ethnicity. That's just forbidden i I think out of all of the couples that I've seen in, in our generation, over ninety percent of them within were within the our own ethnicity by far. So, so if you try and deviate, like, let's say, uh, I know I end up marrying a black girl, my, my mom would freak, right, despite how modern she is. But, but I think, and sure, a lot of people are listening right now could say that's crazy. But I think, I think a better way of thinking about it instead of just um, discounting somebody's opinion, I, I think a, always a better way of thinking about it is why does this person believe what they believe? Right. What's the what's the setting behind their thoughts? And if you really dig into it, let's say in my mother's case, because I've asked her this over the years, it's this idea of the, the reason we tell you to be an engineer or a doctor is because in the mindset in which we grew up, right, in that whether that country was China or in my case, it was Sri Lanka, there wasn't any other option. You're either a teacher or an accountant, and the people who make more money and who actually have food on the tape are generally the doctors. So they pressure you into making these decisions. But but what's what's fascinating is, even if every one of us is different in our own ways, the desire of a mother is always the same, which is the best well-being for their kids. It's just the way that that manifests is completely different across cultures.
0: Yeah, at the end of the day, it's all a protective measure in a way to keep everyone safe and secure, but the way that that is approached can differ. Exactly. And sometimes that can be in a good way or a bad way, or just a way that you may not agree with. So I'm curious to hear what differences among genders you might experience in communication and public speaking, because I imagine just a boardroom. And if you're going to follow the typical masculine way of communication it's kind of who talks louder or who asserts a more dominant voice is going to win in the conversation it doesn't really have anything to do about the quality of what's being said it's more kind of the performance of it so how would you speak to other people on how to improve their communication skills or even allow better collaboration within a boardroom setting
1: yeah for sure so uh, let, let's come I'll uh, comment first on the gender differences, and then we can get into overall strategies that would apply equally to both sides. I I think for me, the the same framework that we apply to culture, and the collectivist versus individualistic part of society, which is, why does that person believe what they believe, right? You know, a good example in, in recent years, you know, the Me Too movement and the different ways of how how women empowerment movements have sort of grown over the last couple of years. I I think the way that I think about it is there's just a lot of built-up frustration there, right? And this idea of, you know, the women who are a part of these women movements, which I believe is most of them, they, they've always been, they've always been told not to do something. They've always been told that this behavior is normal. Even if it's not. And it's that pent up resentment, which is perfectly justified, of course, that is built up and leads to this type of behavior, which is a bit over the top, right, in terms of how they, they react to specific situations in some circumstances. And the opposite is also true for men, by the way, in the sense of why do men get really angry or upset over little things that are completely insignificant the conversation or to the relationship with other people it's it's that same pent-up resentment from you know my mom my father never loved me it's they they never took care of what i cared about it was always you know hide your emotions and at some point you pop right so i think there's this it's this idea of understanding the root cause on both sides and then especially with today i think what's been fascinating to see is how those gender roles have sort of mixed up so if you think about 60 years ago, even if it wasn't the best standard of living for either side, it was very clear on what the roles of that family were, as we call them, the nuclear family. But then over time, I believe that's the name. I feel free to correct that, though. But then over time, as women got more and more rights and started increasing their income, it's not that that was a bad thing or anything. It just created a lot of confusion between both genders and what the roles of both those people are. And that's why I guess it creates a lot of these crazy conflicts. So now the question is to your point, how do you solve for all of this? And I think we apply the same framework that, but in this context, it's just a more sensitive conversation. That's all. In the sense of you're having a conversation with somebody in the boardroom or in a different, you know, in a classroom or any other setting, and you really want to get to the, the root of why does that person believe what they believe? And most people, when they enter an argument, so let's say me and you, not argument, let's say me and you are having a discussion and you say, Oh, with the, here's what I believe, right? This is what I believe. And then I reply with, well, Amanda, here's what I believe. We're not really talking to each other. Instead, what I recommend people do is let's say I'm having this conversation with you. But generally what happens is you would give an opinion and i would go, oh, that's fascinating. Why do you believe this specific part of your argument? So I try and really dig deep into your understanding. So that when I start to speak, you're really, you're really listening to understand and not just to reply.
0: Yeah. And I find a lot of the times we get involved in arguments over conversations and an argument is kind of like, who is right? Is it me or is it you? And it's kind of a fight to see who who is right versus a conversation is really just to figure out what is right.
1: Mm. And then
0: you would kind of make your decisions based around what is right. And I think we just don't really pay attention to kind of looking at what right is in a, in a context that's above ourselves and our own interests, because otherwise it is this tit for tat bounce back of who can say it better, or who can convince you more. And that's when you're always just thinking of like, well, this is my opinion, I'm going to figure out a better way to explain it in a way that you will understand it, or agree with me. And I think that involves a lot of manipulation. So what are your thoughts on being assertive, or having a strategic Method to public speaking or negotiation tactics in a way to kind of beat down your opponent so they'll believe that you're right.
1: (laughs) The secret sauce, yeah. The the way the way that I always think about it, Amanda, is and you're right about a lot of your points, actually all of them. But but I'd say the big thing here is. How, like, for me, the key of conversation is understand the other person as quickly as possible, understand what they want, what their incentive is, and try and feed into that incentive as quickly as possible, right? So let's say, for example, when we met the first time, you know, we had a discussion over what was your goals, what do you want to achieve with this project and this movement? And then I immediately said, okay, let me introduce you to this person. I think you'll really like talking to her. You just went, oh, that's really nice of you, right? So notice how I'm really paying attention to what you're saying, but also what you're trying to achieve with and the goals of your conversation, what you're trying to get at. And I think if most people start doing that, uh, the the people on the other side of the the aisle will want to listen to what you have to say, right? And I think that's always been the key. And, and that's, by the way, something I, I wasn't really good at a couple of years ago but something I've learned over time that I still haven't mastered by, by any means. And the reason is, is simply because, you know, humans are emotional storytelling creatures. We like to simplify things. We make, we like making things stupider than they actually seem. We like saying, Oh yeah, there's all these arguments, but I don't have time for that life. Screw logic. Let's throw that at the door and, Right. And I mean, we're a good example of this in Canada. I mean, why do we vote for our prime minister? I mean, he's handsome. in mean, what else? Like, it's just, you know, sometimes when when we make decisions, it's not always the, the most logical. But, but I agree with you in the sense of if we start to spend more time understanding the other person, their perspective, they'll want to understand ours.
0: Exactly. And I think there's a new wave of what I would consider as a toxic masculine behavior where there's already been traditional masculine demands, as in, you know, you're the provider, caretaker, protector figure, you're stronger, faster, you're the breadwinner, all of these conditions. And if you don't measure up to that, you already have this feeling of not being good enough for, for any guy that isn't the traditional alpha male. But then now that we're in the 21st century, you have women that are also taking the alpha kind of personality, and they're not even men. So I feel like these guys are feeling super helpless now, because they can't be the traditional man, they've already got to compete with the cool guy, the jock, whatever. Now they got to compete with another whole gender that they can't relate to in the same way. It's not, you know, a physical construct, you know, now on top of it, she's got womanly aspects, and was able to adopt these masculine traits. So who am I to suck at all of those things you know i'm I'm a man and i still can't even be alpha and then now this woman being alpha like (laughs) i I feel like that's an issue and it's a a new wave of this helplessness and that causes new ways to manipulate both sides have you kind of noticed that
1: yeah absolutely definitely a lot of weird shit going on that's for sure but but i'd say that i would say the big thing to, to your point is this idea of especially the let's call them the beta males right it's mm-hmm. not it's not the right term but let's let's use that but so like let's say you're a beta male you're kind of looking at this and like well i don't really want to lead i kind of just don't want to do any of these things that the traditional culture wants us to do but but i think that's the key is that what everyone needs to understand their own rules and that's the only way i think to be free is for you to break the culture scape and create your own so that means, like in my case, it's like I, I consider myself a traditional alpha male, even if I, I don't embody a lot of those qualities myself. So, for example, I don't have like a, a big, big muscles. I don't play football. You know, I don't uh, I don't even particularly like sports. I don't I, I find it's a waste of time. You know, there's a lot of things that that I don't associate with in the traditional roles. But I take the ones that I do like. Oh, yeah. Confidence understands what they want. Who they, like, you know, those th- kind of aspects. And I think a nerd can easily do that too, right? To use that caricature. It's just about figuring out when you look at how everyone else is living their lives to pick and choose like a a restaurant menu and figure out what parts of that culture do you want to embed into you? And as you start to fulfill that, you start to create a unique identity. Because what we all fail to realize that it's the interesting people are the people who have unique identities. We're all trying to fit in, we're all trying to fit in these boxes, but we fail to realize that the people who are the most interesting in our society, the people that we look up to the most are the ones that are most far away from that own analogy themselves. Because the people that we admire in our society are the crazy kooks, are the people who set their own definitions for what an alpha or a beta male should be. And I think it's that understanding of who you are that attracts the right people in your life. Even if you are a beta male, it doesn't really matter as long as you own it. I think that's the, that's the key. And it's not an easy process for sure, but I think the journey is asking yourself difficult questions about life every day. And then you'll realize that you're not going to live for a long time anyway. So you might as well live life by your own terms. Uh,
0: Okay. So I think it's more, doesn't really matter which, gender norm or behavior you embody it's more the self-acceptance and loving your own version of yourself whatever that means and becoming it rather than kind of picking things off the shelf as idealistic things and then never being able to obtain them
1: yeah I obviously I don't have the perfect answer for today but I think in my reflection talking to you right now band I think what I've realized is we're all crazy in our own ways. There's only one copy of all of us, right? And what we're all trying to do right now, which I think is crazy, is we're tr- we're all trying to pick from a menu that we didn't even choose, right? Like it's like it's like going to a restaurant that you don't even like. So it doesn't really matter what's on the menu. You don't want to pick anything. Right? And that's and that's the situation we're all kind of in right now, which is we're all looking at these Instagram models. We're looking at these muscular dudes. We're looking at these nerds who don't get girls. So, you know, it's like these different caricatures that somebody else created. And then you kind of look at all of these caricatures and you you have to kind of pick one. That seems to be the, the, the way that the culture is set up in a way that if you don't pick one, well, then you pick nothing and you end up becoming nothing, which isn't true because the, the people who actually end up being happy and who who end up realizing that there's a custom side to the menu there's there's a make your own salad right it's not just uh you need to pick from these uh preconceived notions of what actually is a salad but rather just saying no these are the ingredients i put want to put and these are the traits i want to take from everyone and just be my own person i think that's really the solution for all of us but none of us are willing to go that far in the analysis
0: yeah i think of that a lot with how we look at careers and professions like we go to school and we think of which skill sets we have and then what potential career paths based on those skill sets, rather than thinking, like you said, if I had all the money in the world, what would I actually want to do? And no one really thinks about what do they want to do? They think of what is the best for them based on whatever characteristics they've been born with. And I think we also do that in relationships. And I think there's this odd thing that happens where at least coming from me where I'm not particularly interested in somebody I don't really like them I don't think that they're a suitable partner for me but they show interest and some kind of commitment to me then I somehow feel obligated to return that energy and find myself feeling resentful about why do I even care about this person liking Mm. me back why do I have to Kind of reciprocates. and then I'm in this thing of trying to convince this person to be with me when I didn't even want them like that to begin with. And I think that's what we constantly do as soon as we receive attention or a response, so maybe you're really talented in in one subject matter. and then you think, oh, this is this is the career path for me, but it wasn't chosen for you. someone else chose that for you. And you you end up hitting a wall, and I think a lot of people do this when they hit, a level of success in a space that they just didn't want to be in the beginning.
1: Oh, I'm with you on that one. You know, it's, it's this fascinating thing about let other people make the decisions for you. So I don't have to make those decisions myself. Right. And then when, when those decisions are made and we feel unhappy, we don't really understand why, because we say, well, everyone around us seems to be happy with the decisions we made. Why aren't we happy with our own? And then we realize the, the few people who do realize that we never made those decisions ourselves in the first place. And when we get to that, that point, we have a very difficult conversation that we need to have with ourselves, which is the following. Do I just keep playing exactly how other people want? Do I st- sh- should I still keep picking out a menu I never get to, uh, to, to a restaurant I never chose to even go to? Or do I just choose to get out of the restaurant and go someplace else? And I think most people stay in the restaurant. But a small percentage of people go... Uh, you know what, I think I'm just going to go somewhere else and and just pick whatever the hell I want to eat and do whatever the hell I want to do, because I because I'm realizing that none of the rules of the game make any sense whatsoever. And then when you start doing that, then I think you're going to be in a very beautiful place, because then you just do whatever you want. And I can give you a super easy example. I know you talked about careers, which is a great one. One thing I can I can talk about that's even more simpler than that is someone's definition of happiness. You know, one exercise I always preach that nobody does is to write your own definition of happiness. Like what are some of the things in your life that actually bring you joy? And I'm always happy to share my list because it proves a point. So so my list is I love clubbing. Like I just love it. I know I'll be 60 years old, still club. Like for me, it's just going seven hours. I don't drink at all. I just dance for seven hours straight alone, literally. And I just walk. I'm like the worst person ever to be in a club. Like they lose so much money on me. It's ridiculous. (laughs) That's one. Two is mini dance breaks between meetings. I work pretty hard. So I always like, you know, dancing in the middle of meetings. So to keep myself energized, that's another thing that brings me joy. Another one is yelling at my friends at restaurants. It, it just bothers the hell out of everyone else in the restaurant. But man, is it so much fun just like asking them controversial questions about life bothering everyone else at the restaurant. So notice how all of the things I'm mentioning, a lot of people are listening to this and are like, I don't want to do any of that. Oh, and I, f- I forgot to mention karaoke You know, I can karaoke for like seven hours straight too. I'm kind of nuts. But it's the point is like, that's what brings me joy. Whereas people look at this list and go, Well, I don't want to do any of this stuff, and that's the point of driving. Where's your list? Why didn't you write your own? And you'll realize that once you actually write your own, it is impossible, it is inconceivable that everyone has the exact same list. But yet, we're using everyone else's list to be happy, isn't that weird?
0: Yeah, because I think I mean, I would think it's all to do with media. I remember thinking that the list was whatever I saw on TV. So I moved from, you know, wanting to be Carrie Bradshaw in Sex and City to wanting to be Peggy Olsen in the Mad, Mad Men series. Like I just kept changing TV shows of what <laughs> I, I believe that. was supposed to be the thing to do. And that was the only representation I was able to see. And I think it's too scary to imagine your own list out of thin air because we've been trained to not have to think about that for so long
1: yeah it's it's just so sad you know like if we all had just that small list it takes literally 10 minutes to make and we just started doing more of those things I know it sounds a bit optimistic but I think that would solve a lot of a lot at least make a significant dent in the way that we think about mental health because if we're if we're constantly exhausting ourselves to meet other people's lists and other people's definitions of what happiness should be. We're always running and running closer to a, to a finish line that has no end. And we just keep running. And at some point we just stop running the race. Right. And I think that's the key is when you start writing your own list. Like for me, I, I know <laughs> from talking to my friends, you know, my actual, my, the actual six friends were actually my friends. Cause most people are scared of me when they hear my list. <laughs> it's just, those people like me for who I am. And I like my list. And I know I'm probably the only person in the world who has that kind of a list. And and I'd love for everyone to make their own. I think it will just make them better human beings. And also in the context of relationships, it'll make it so much more easier for you to find a partner. You know who you click with immediately. You know who you don't click with immediately, right? And I think the only way you do that is by figuring out who you are first.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think what would you think actually about people that say they know who they are versus oh, the ones that actually believe who they are?
1: Boy, I'm, I'm still trying to figure that one out too. I, I think I, I was, I, I don't really like to give opinions on that in general, cause that would be a generalization. But the way I think about it is I was like testing people how much they actually know themselves. So, so one thing is, is that way, right? The, the listing, what, what actually brings you joy, if it actually takes them time to figure out they don't know who they are. That's one. The second one is, uh, what is their list of weaknesses? Like, what are they absolutely dog shit at that they're openly willing to admit, right? And if they're not willing to admit, or they have trouble figuring that out, they probably don't know who they are. Same thing with strengths. So I think there's so many different indicators. Obviously, if you miss one, it doesn't mean you don't know who you are and you're not self-aware. But it definitely means you haven't put enough thought into what I would think is someone who knows themselves extremely well. So, and, and one exercise people can do besides the happiness thing is, is to write your own funeral speech. I think it's a very powerful exercise. You know, when you're in a casket and your brother and your sister are kind of reading what you stood for and how you lived your life, most people don't take the time to actually write what that would actually look like. And I think that that gives you a lot of clarity to the kind of person to lead the life you want to lead. And once you get into that, you, you start wasting time with things like, like I'll give you the best example with me. Like, you know, I'm 24, but I still live with my mother and I don't plan on moving out of my mother's house until I'm 30. The culture scape would look at that. They, they would say, well, this guy's a loser, right? He's probably poor. He's probably a deadbeat probably has no future, definitely doesn't have a girlfriend. Jeez. I mean, forget that. <laughs> what girl wants to date a guy in his mother's basement? Whereas my, my perspective on this, like, because you know, I'm confident in my skin. It's more just like, what are you guys talking about? You guys have, you guys are paying $1,500 a month on rent. I have a lot of money in my bank. I could quit my job tomorrow and still have six months of cash free. Right. So a lot of people who, you know, it's, it's this, it's this idea of people don't understand the other side of the coin. And once you have that confidence to kind of pick who, um, who you are and and to pick the rules of your own game, then, then you start winning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's all about that judgment of, Oh, if I'm not all of these things, then there's no way that I'd be cool or that people would like me or that I'd have a girlfriend or all these things. Right. And I think it's interesting that you brought up the funeral speech. So I ask a lot of guys on the show what they think being a good man is. And a lot of them say like, yeah, if, I was going to die tomorrow per se. And, you know, there's a funeral speech about me. They would say here lies whoever, whoever is a good man. And why is there this desire to be called a good man or a man of integrity? Because wouldn't you just want to be just a man (laughs) versus like a good man? Why, why do you need to be recognized by society as a good man? What do you think?
1: Oh, that's good. Uh, Two parts to that. One is definitely the culture and the media that you touched upon earlier in the interview that I completely agree with, right? It's this, in the same way you look up to the sex in the city. I used to watch Sex in the City all the time, actually, back when I was so poor, I couldn't afford any other cable channel. <laughs> I was like, why am I watching this for going to school? It makes sense. But I guess, uh, yeah, it was good times. But but the other side of that is is the same way that you characterized the, the female characters in those shows. We do the same thing with the male characters. It's like those... um. Those white knights in shining armor or uh, the, I'm I'm drawing a blank right now, but, you know, the different characters and stories of how we, oh, like Twilight's another good example where you can have this, that vampire dude, right, who's like kind of protecting the girl. It's like media is also showing us from a men's perspective as well, that oh yeah, you're supposed to like take care of the girl. You're supposed to do that. By the way, that's what I do. Like, I like doing that. And that's probably because of the media that's kind of impacted me to think that way. But I also think a lot of it's instinctual also as as men. That's probably one part of the conversation. The other part of the conversation is probably more of a selfish thing, I would say. And that's probably just my own take is once once we all realize that we don't live for a long time, I think the only thing that really matters is to be remembered for doing something important. So if you think about me, I don't think it's more of like an awakening or a moment. I think for me, it's just more of a selfish desire, knowing that life in its own is, is we we, we are such a tiny fragment of what human society actually will and is going to become that we want to have played a small part in that. And I think that's what helps, it, that drives us. And that's true with every human being right? I've found. So So I think for me, it's it's really this idea of how media's influence is to be a good man of integrity. And the second part is to be remembered for for doing something important.
0: You know, I always thought this was interesting. I had these conversations with men where I would say, do you ever think that life is beyond your life? That there's something about you that's put you here in this universe to make a change in some kind of way? Do you feel like you're responsible for that? And I would speak to some guys and they'd say, no, I just want to be happy. And I need to figure out all of the things that will make me happy, which is, you know, being financially secure or whatever, setting all of the things in place. So then I can, you know, retire happy and enjoy my life. And it was so simple. And I was kind of like, don't you want more? And I realized how I kind of took this, preconceived notion, I guess, of how every male hero's journey you hear in stories or books or movies about you leaving a legacy behind, whether that's leaving children or an actual physical thing, a business, anything that you need to have some kind of substance that proves who you are. And only now am I realizing, well, that change is just me. So if I navigate my life as if the world has already changed, then I don't need to prove anything anymore.
1: That's powerful and probably a good lesson for even me to learn from, honestly. You know, for me, it's always been about, I think the reason I work so hard is because I, I want to leave a legacy and I want to feel important and it's more of a selfish desire above anything else. But I, but I think the the point that you drove about the other man and how he just wanted to retire and, and live, I, I think that's a beautiful thing too, if I'm being honest. I think, I think the, the key message for everybody Is if everyone asks the hard questions, you'll arrive at the truth that's unique to you. And for him, it was well, you know, actually, I did the analysis. I'm gonna be dead in 50 years. Okay, makes sense. I think I'll just enjoy my life and just keep it easy. Whereas, and then you have other guys like me who rely on the opposite end of that spectrum, which is I did the analysis. I looked at all the questions, and I want to fucking slaughter. Like I just want to just go out there and just. do whatever i can just hustle 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 and that's what drives me joy and i'm super happy and i got a bunch of interviews today and i do them with a smile on my face right because because that's just what i want to do and i think i think the beautiful part that i would wish for everybody man or woman, is is to do that inflection and that reflection because then once you do that you'll figure out the type of life that you want to do who you want to be with what you want to achieve if there's anything that you want to achieve and it's fine if you don't and and to just and to just maximize that happiness of yours because if you do that then everyone else around you will be happier right so works for me
0: yeah exactly and i think sometimes we just focus too much on everybody else and then realize that the change comes here first you know and as soon as you figure out what makes you happy the world isn't that tough you know as you kind of navigate on i'm with you so i have a question with how to give rejection and how to receive rejection. So I think a lot of society kind of teaches us that the guy kind of goes, approach the the guy, approaches the girl and has a presentation, you know, has to look <laughs> a certain way, puts on a face, puts on a mask, says the right words, gives you a pickup line, whatever it is. Yeah. And what what is rejection like for you? I think we've been trained to receive rejection pretty well and to try to not take it too personally and just you know continue on but I also think that people aren't really good at giving rejection because I think it's the way that rejection is given that will then affect how people respond to rejection
1: yeah for sure I think the way that I would see it is I definitely am I'm in the category I get rejected a ton of times right (laughs) I think for me the key is when when we think about receiving rejection, and this is something I work on too, <laughs> definitely not perfect by any means, but I but I think the the framework that I always like to use is just because somebody's rejecting you, and this could be romantic, business, really anything, it doesn't really mean they're rejecting you as a human being, but rather based on their experiences, there's no, there isn't an alignment. So I think it's a rejection in many ways, not all the time, but in some ways can be a great thing. It's an indicator that this is not the right direction for you. Right. So, for example, this is, this is something I hear a lot from my friends, it's not something I've been through, but something I hear a lot is this idea of like, oh, you know, they break up with someone and then they still miss them. But then I I, I help them describe the relationship and go, oh, you know, it was toxic like half the time. And we'd always argue all the time. And, then, and I'm always asking myself, why why do you miss them so much? Like, it doesn't seem like a very healthy relationship to be in right but it's just the emotions that we have our biology as humans kind of forces us to cling on to that because our number one goal or the way the human brain is designed is to for us to reproduce right so so it's really hard to break out of that kind of thing so so i understand you know rejection can be very tough especially if you're in like a long-term relationship and then all of a sudden your partner breaks up with you and you just don't know what to do with your life and once again never been through that so so i sympathize but 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 there's there's definitely that one side of the argument too. And then the other side is giving re- rejection. Absolutely, you know, it's it's definitely a challenge, especially for me. You know, how do you how do you reject someone, whether it's romantically, whether it's business related, in a way that that doesn't ruin their 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 perspective? So, you know, what I always like to do. If it's it's rarely romantic, if I'm being honest, it's happened very few times, but, you know, a couple of times, you know, the way that I think about it is just I I try my best to to kind of figure out where that person's at, what their incentive is, what they're trying to achieve. And I try to align with it. So most of the time it's really just saying, oh, you know, it might just be a good fit. Because for X Y Z reason, but most of the rejections I give are mostly business related. Right? Just go. You know, this is this is what I think is the situation. But you know, I wouldn't worry too much about it. I'm pretty sure you have a great idea, and you can keep moving forward, anyways. So it's 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 always about balancing this idea of what does the other and this is kind of a bit sadist, but it's the way that I think about it. What does the other person kind of want you to say? And that I in that rejection to make them feel better. And the other side of it is um, the other side of it is kind of rejecting them in a way that that helps them still that still encourages them to keep going with whatever it is that they're going
0: yeah and i think a lot of people are lying in their rejections that they give oh yeah i lie
1: a lot myself yeah 100 percent. yeah
0: well why would you wrap it up in a compliment sandwich or whatever it is that people do question because then are they actually learning from it or are they you know kind of you know the, you kind of soften the blow for them. And then they'll be like, oh, this is just this one instance with this person. That's, that's an anomaly, not this is the norm. Yeah,
1: here, here's the deal, Amanda. And and I like that you brought that up. And you know I think that's great and everything. But my, my honest opinion is I don't think most people actually want the feedback. With me and you, it's different. Okay, let's say me and you are talking, we're rejecting each other for business, whatever, whatever the thing is. I know just by talking to you and how like open-minded and conversational you are, you want the real deal, right? You're one of those people's like, tell it to me straight. Was it the way that I talked to you? Was the way I converse? Like you didn't like the way that I spoke in this. Like, let's say we're talking about feedback for the podcast as an example, right? Uh, I would tell it to you straight. I'd be like, oh, you're doing just fine by the way. But but that's the point I'm driving, right? You're someone who wants the feedback. I argue, honestly, like 90, 90, at least 90% of the people I've interacted with say they want the feedback don't actually want the feedback they just want to be told that they're you know that they're great and everything and and for me because i care so much about human beings and i know it's a bizarre way of manifesting that level of care if i realize that that person just doesn't want to go that far in the analysis i just cut them loose i just go hey you know it's the whole you know it wasn't you it was me kind of deal and i go hey you know there's a lot of things i could work on i just walk away i i just and i and i don't you know, I know that's not the right answer to give, but, but I think what's important for people is for you to understand where other people are. And I, I can give my relationship with my mother as an example. You know, I, I lie to her all the time. And the reason I do that is because there's some things that you just can't withstand as an individual. I, I can just tell just by looking at her and by having the conversation that she has, she gets worried about every little thing. You know, if there's like a $50 bill, that's like these the, the patients start to freak out about. It and I go, and I just realized at some point that there's some things that you can't change another individual and you need to kind of soften that. But obviously it's a controversial way of looking at life. I don't recommend it. But of course, like if you think about my friends around me, there are people who are similar to people like you, Amanda, which is like, tell it to me straight. Those are people I surround myself with. But the, the humans I need to interact with on the daily basis are definitely all not all like that. Yeah. That's something I learned the hard way also.
0: Yeah, and I think that's what I mean. Like you'll say something and then they'll just get so oh, either yeah. defensive, wounded, anything. And you're like, oh my God, that wasn't at all the intention. And you know, now you feel bad about it. But if you and everybody else is kind of doing these catered rejection things, then no one is actually learning and it's going to continue that same structure generation after generation. So how would you think of a way for people to communicate better and more honestly with people in the future.
1: man, that's that's the toughest question you've asked today, for sure. Uh, I don't have the perfect answer to it, but I think what I'll say is, I've wasted a lot of my life trying to convert people who didn't want to be converted. You know when i when I started getting into personal development, I started going to the Tony Robbins events and started doing all that stuff, and I saw the light, so to speak. The next thing I wanted to do was show the light to everyone else around me, to my sister, my mom, my cousins. I was like, You got to do this seminar. I think you got to attend this thing. And I got crickets. Mm -hmm. And it frustrated me so much. I was like, Why don't you see this? Like, this life could be different, could be better. And at some point, what, what I realized, and I'm glad I did at a young age, is that our goal in this human experience, that's my personal view. It's not really to convert as many people, but rather find the people who are aligned to what you want to achieve and work on them first. Because I think one part of the argument, as you mentioned, is we need to create this new culture where, you know, everyone is taught to communicate honestly and all that stuff. And I love that approach, man. and I know you're going to knock it out. But for someone like me, who's a bit more pessimistic in that view... For me, it's more about focusing on the people who actually want the change and helping them change in a big way so that they can collectively change the culture scape. That's the way over over like a hundred years, right? That's the way that that I think about it. And minimalism is a good example of that movement where you know there's two people, Joshua Fields, Milburn and his buddy, kind of just started a documentary, started a movement and it grew into this big thing. And I think and minimalism for those who don't know who are listening is when you buy when you own very little objects and you're kind of anti-materialistic which I love, right? I'm a minimalist at heart, but I think that's the key that I want to drive for people is focus on the people that give you energy that where you can have those honest conversations with or that you want to have those honest conversations and see if they want to have them too. And then you can start to cross that, uh, let's call it the culture line You know, where you try and cross that boundary and say, can I I be honest with this person? Let me test it. I haven't tried it yet. And then as you get a smaller and that group starts to grow, then start doing that a little bit more with people that you're comfortable with, that you already have a relationship with. And then you could start to do that with people you don't. You don't particularly know but once again i think for me the priority in these interactions is is conserving your own energy because that is the way that you'll you'll stay happy yourself without getting consumed with all the backlash you get from giving honest feedback to people who didn't want it in the first place
0: okay i appreciate that i think it's interesting when i first started the podcast that was definitely the route i took i would seek out safe people to speak about because these topics are something that we don't really flex this muscle a lot at all, like kind of speaking openly and honestly. So I seeked out people I already knew and I asked for their recommendations for other people. And I just met a variety of different people that it's funny how some people thought that this person was open and honest and they turn out not to be right. Uh. And, And what I thought was just the most interesting was, you know what, like this is the part that I want to show the world the differences in people's methods of communication whether they believe that they're open and honest when they actually are open and honest when they're totally closed off depending on certain subject matter and what are the what is the route to why they act that way and I think that's been the exciting part where I'm not really going to surround myself with a bunch of safe people and kind of isolate myself to a space that wholly accepts me because that isn't real life. And uh. I think we're not used to real life because we're so sheltered with, oh, only the people in my industry or only my friends of my friends, or you know, the people that you already know and feel familiar with and safe with, then you're never gonna get out of the box.
1: That's powerful. I guess we'll have to leave it for another day. But I think the I think my concluding remarks there is I definitely agree with your point in the sense that it's important to explore different options. But I think what I encourage your viewers and and obviously if you have a better perspective here, which you probably do, uh, I would say first, I think what's missing for most people is they don't even have those honest conversations with themselves and the people around them. So I would start there in the same way you did. And then after that, then sure, go seek out the new opinions, try and get other people to, to communicate honestly. And, and you're at that place in your life. I'd argue most people aren't, though.
0: Yeah, you're right. Um, I want to wrap up with two more questions. The first question is, what negative thoughts do your female friends have about themselves that you wish could change? Hmm.
1: You'll find this very surprising, man. I actually don't interact that much with females on a, on a, on a recurring basis. But I would say based on my conversations with my mom, and my sister, I would say most of the negative thoughts is actually not with them. They don't really have that. But I would say in general, what I've seen is just it's mostly around body image. Oh, you know, I'm not beautiful. I don't think I can do this. Uh, the, you know, they they just really undersell themselves. I think that's a big negative thought it's like this whole adage, you know, a man looks at a job description, sees half the things that they can do and, and realizes that they can do all of them. The, the woman looks at the same job description, sees half that they can't do, and they realize they can't do the job, right? It's, it's very fascinating to see those dynamics play out, but that's probably the big thing that comes to mind.
0: Okay. I think that's so interesting. I think that is generally the most popular answer because it's something that's, most guys don't have to deal with, you know, like they weren't brought up in that society where everything was hinged on their physical appearance. It was more about things that they can do. So it's like, you can go and get money. You can go and get success. You can go and actually get these things rather than you actually have to be this person. Like you have to embody this image that's been predetermined. Right. So absolutely. I think that's a, a huge thing to kind of try to remove from from what women have to deal with. Um, My last question to you is, out of all the topics that we spoke about today, which is a lot, (laughs) what resonated with you the most that you would like to invite another man to elaborate on further in another episode on the show?
1: Oh, that's a beautiful question. Oh, that's good. Oh, uh, hmm, I, I think, hmm. Probably the one that resonated with me the most that we didn't talk enough about, I think, is probably the way that culture has influenced the way our individual cultures influence the way that we think about gender roles. So it's probably somebody else from a different cultural background than mine I would love to hear from. So for example, someone who's born in a completely different country, how they view gender roles and kind of comparing all of those gender roles from different societies with each other.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely get some more of those. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this. Do you change how you communicate with certain people or do you believe you should say things the same way, regardless of who you're speaking with? I sit on the latter end and I don't know. I'm feeling a little conflicted today, but I still believe we need to push a little more from the interactions we have with each other. What do you think? Make sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to be on the show or know of someone with a unique perspective, slide into my DMs at Miss Amanda Chen on Instagram. And I'll see you next Wednesday with more episodes of The 100 Mass Men.